Good evening, everybody, and welcome to... Uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. Session number 195, our, I think, fourth session on The Ring Goes South. Uh, and we're still not quite to The Ring actually going south. We are still uh, working to finish. It is my goal to finish uh, the uh, little follow-up discussion among uh, uh, among Bilbo and uh, Frodo and the other hobbits with uh, uh, Gandalf peeping in the window, uh, getting his own back against Sam Gamgee in the uh, uh, in the eavesdropping department. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so that's where I'm, I'm hoping to get to today. Uh, quick before I begin, just wanted to start with a quick announcement, and that is um, you can now register for our first two regional moots. So if you are in the New England area, uh, you could come to our New England moot on September 25th in Durham, New Hampshire. And if you are in the, well, the middle of the country, let's just say, um, you know, sort of Midwest, sort of Great Plains, right on the borders of those two areas. You could come join us in Waterloo, Iowa on October 9th for Middlemoot. Uh, and you can register for both of those things. If you go to registration.signumuniversity.org um, and uh, you can click on the events uh, button there and it will uh, get you to you can see links to those two events you can sign up for now in addition uh, if you do not live in any of those areas and are uh, neither of those are convenient to you you could still join us because we are doing all of our regional uh, moots this year as fully hybrid events uh, so you are welcome to join us digitally there should be um, the opportunity to sign up for the uh, the the in person, the corporeal presence, uh, and for the digital attendance uh, at our uh, at our moots. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, New England moot uh, call for uh, proposals will be uh, out very soon, Flamifer. I know that that is immediately in process. That should be happening during the course of this week. So. Um, that will uh, that will be very soon. So, anyway, um, we're gonna be yeah, Bjarna Sonner, We're gonna be trying to do everything we can to um, involve the hybrid folks uh, in the stuff that we're doing, both stuff that we're doing on site, but also you know some things that we're gonna be doing um, as I say in a more kind of hybrid fashion as well. Um, it is my goal for our regional moot not just to have the opportunity to like have the digital moot people kind of watching on or tagging along, um, but to, uh, uh, to really make each one of them a really fun and rewarding digital moot in itself. So that's, um, that's the goal. That's the goal. Um, so anyway, that's, um, uh, 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 mad violinist, you should, um, well, there should be a, there should be a call, uh, a call for proposals, papers, presentations, uh, 
RPG game mastering, whatever. Um, that should that as that should be out soon. I think for both of the uh, of the conferences, both Middle Moot and uh, for uh, New England Moot as well. So we will see. Anyway, all right. Um, uh, very good. Then um, let us uh, let us jump straight back into the text here this evening. Um, so last time we got to the poem, the short verse poem, um, and I got to uh, lay out my fun theory uh, that I think that that poem is a uh, a response to Sam, um, that I think that that was a little flashback to Sam's past um, uh, in uh, the winter poem, and that he's kind of teasing both Frodo and Sam, essentially, uh, especially with his last, and that, I'm afraid, will be just your luck, um, that, as, that he's saying to Frodo, but again, also uh, uh, to Sam. Um, so... After that, we have Gandalf's big announcement. I am afraid it will, said Gandalf. We can't start until we have found out about the riders. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood, said Merry. You cannot destroy ringwraiths like that, said Gandalf. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if I can do anything to help you, but I will whisper this in your ears. Someone said that intelligence would be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the window sill where he had been sitting and took off his hat and bowed. I only said, I think I shall come. Do not count on anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. Okay, let's, um, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Um, as usual, I want to start at the top, but actually, one quick thing. I need a reenactment. How is Gandalf sitting the wind on the windowsill? How do you think that works? Is he sitting on the outside? Or is his, are his feet in the room? This is what I want to know. Did Gandalf climb in? Is the window open? I mean, I assume it's open and not like screened or something. Is it really low? Could he step over it and sit down? Is he kind of sitting down with his butt on the sill and his legs outside and kind of turned around sideways? I have a really hard time picturing this in this scene. Kurt Smith, that is precisely what I'm trying to figure out, is I'm trying to figure out um, to what extent... Gandalf has, in fact, infenestrated himself here, right? Is this a partial in infenestration? Is this a complete infenestration? Does he, uh, does he get up when he gets up from the windowsill? He left the windowsill, took off his hat and bowed. Is he standing in the room then? Or is he standing outside the room? Um, I, um, I don't get it. See, leaning into talk, Spirit Raccoon, I think is what I always picture. Until I get to this point, when it explicitly says he had been sitting on the windowsill. And then my visual imagination is thrown into complete uncertainty here. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, um, perhaps he straddled the sill. Also possible, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I guess what I really need to know, what kind of windowsill is this, right? I mean, uh, it's a low windowsill, presumably. In which case, was Gandalf stooping down to speak in the window in the first place? Is it a very tall window? Is this like a French window? In which case, it wouldn't have a sill at all. Nothing at all for him to sit on. So, um, yeah, Ray, I was thinking also it could be a low sill for Hobbit, right? Like, that is, the windows could be low down for Hobbit. And presumably, the windows are not going to be like three feet off the ground, right? So that the window is above the heads of the Hobbits. That would be um, a slightly discourteous room, right, uh, for them to give Bilbo to live in. Um, so, I. Uh, yeah, I, I don't um, I don't know. So it's probably not like a, you know, a, a full kind of door. Um, it could be a spiritual windowsill. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, Villori, that's like figure A with Gandalf sitting with his legs outside and kind of turned around. Right. Yeah, that I that I could. I could see, I could see that. And that would be especially if, um, especially if it would make sense. So like he's only like infenestrated a portion of his posterior, right? And most of the rest of his body is outside. Um, That would make a certain amount of sense, especially if the window, the whole window was kind of low, right? So that he had to sort of stoop in. I picture a huge window too, but it doesn't really help me um, uh, figuring out how he's sitting. Um, Right. Emily says one butt cheek on, one butt cheek off. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense if he's kind of, but if it's really low, you see, he would have to be sitting. He can't just be leaning. Right. Um, Because it would, the the sill would be, if if the sill is hobbit height, Right. That is convenient windowsill height for hobbits. So uh, that's got to mean what? Two feet off the ground? The sill, I mean? So that, I mean, if you're imagining that if it's going to be no more or if it's going to be at least waist or chest high on a hobbit for it to be a useful window, it would have to be. Right. So it's got to be no more than like two feet off the ground. The sill. Um, So there's no way you can lean on that. Right. I mean, it's going to be at like his knee. He could kneel, you know, on one knee on it or something. But um, but yeah, I don't think um, I don't think. So. And Cecilia, I do agree with you. Um, I also wouldn't put it past Elrond's courtesy and kindness to have a special hobbit room built for Bilbo, um, in which case it could be a round window um, if it were really done in Inshire style. Um, but I'd rather doubt that is it's very difficult to sit on the sill of a round window. Um that's um, that's an uncomfortable proposition, even if you don't, in fact, obscure the entire window with your posterior, right? Um, uh, okay. All right. Kit has a very specific idea here. Um, uh, Kit's uh, idea is that it's a low, wide sill. He's sitting on it with one leg outside and the other with his knee bent and the leg also on the sill. Okay. Right. Yeah, I can picture that. I can picture that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, no, but the can't, the ground can't match up with the bottom of the window, Kurtzmas. I mean, then he'd just be sitting on the ground. Why even bother with the sill at all, 
right? Um, if uh, I mean, you would if if the if the window is even with the ground, then he just sit on the ground or come inside, right? I mean, there has to be a reason why he hasn't stepped into the room too, um, and that's another reason I think against the whole. I've got both of my feet inside the room and I'm sitting on the window sill that way kind of view. Because again, if he's going to do that, why not come in and sit down properly, right? Um, so I think he's got to be mostly outside. All right, so Valorius figure B has him sitting, uh, right, sort of leaning sitting, right? Sort of sitting with both legs out uh, on the ground in front of him uh, and just kind of his uh, his posterior leaned up against the sill. The problem with that one, Valoria, is his back is completely to the room. Like, he'd have to talk over his shoulder like that if he's sitting like that. I think that Kit's view of him sitting one foot on the ground, one leg bent and kind of pulled up on the sill, that kind of fits for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... Right. Yeah, there we go. The window seat version. Uh, potentially. Figure C there. Yeah, yeah. The bent knee. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, half infenestrated. I think he's going to be, yeah, partially. Um, um, I think so. I think so. Exactly, Tim Dolph. A ground-level sill would be a threshold, not a sill. Yeah, exactly. And he wouldn't bother with it, as I said. Um, but yeah, I think the cr- the crucial thing to me, Bjarna Sonor, is I think he's still outside when he bows. So I think when he dismounts from the sill, right, however it is he has, in fact, mounted the sill, when he dismounts and he takes off his hat and bows, um, he's outside. And that is also part of his segue to, I must be off, right? Which are his last words there. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I'm thinking, I think, I, I think A is possible, Valori, possibly C, um, or the modified C, kind of Kit's version of C with the one leg on the outside. I think um, that seems most likely to me. And Trifle, I saw your point about it requiring some flexibility. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that um, it would require that much flexibility. Um, I mean, you only have to... You only have to be able to cross your legs, essentially, to be able to do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he has to be sitting on his foot. Um, I don't think he has to be sitting on his foot. I think that his... So let's imagine his left leg's on the ground, right? So I'm imagining his left leg is on the ground, so he's turned, and his right leg, so it's like his right butt, cheek, and thigh are on the sill, right? His left leg, or his right foot, doesn't have to be under his butt. His right foot can just be kind of hanging down, um, uh, you know, his sort of swinging at the knee, right, as it's hanging down uh, there. So I think I think that's um uh I could see that. I could see that. Um Yeah. Um Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now you're right, um you're right, Rachel, that um his um uh, 
his bow is is slightly ironic, or at least um, self-deprecating in some ways. Um, but um, yeah, right, exactly. It, that would be sort of side saddle, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that I think that strikes me as most likely. That would be that would best accommodate still being outside the room, which he seems. I don't think he ever comes in. I don't think he ever comes in. Um, I think his bow is from outside the window too. Um, so I think, I think he's remaining outside, but he's got to be able to talk to them, right? I don't think he's talking to them over his shoulder. I don't think he's, I don't think he's leaning down. Um, but the implication would seem to be that he would have had to lean down else. Why sit? I mean, he's only there for a few minutes. Um, uh, He's only there for a few minutes. Then he's um, um, he could just stand there and talk, right? Um, but it would make sense if he had to stoop in order to see in through the window comfortably. That it would be more comfortable to sit there if it's a wide enough sill, but a relatively low window, and not the window itself isn't that isn't low to the ground, but um, not really high. So not like a narrow, like six foot window, right? Or something like that, but a relatively small window so that he could sit down in it, but it would be better than stooping down. I think the whole time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that would, uh, I would, I agree. And if it's too low or too high, he remains standing. Yeah, I agree. So it'd have to be comfortable sitting height. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's close. Trifles. People posting pictures of people sitting by windows. <laughs> we're getting we're getting lots of window models on Discord here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. So that was the first and most pressing question I had to settle. Uh, uh, we can we can do a reenactment of that perhaps, but it's maybe not so very substantial. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Uh, it does tell you something, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Sorry, Drear is just... Drear? Dreyer? I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. Uh, I just posted a picture of somebody uh, hanging across a window with both of their legs sticking up outside, which I think is fairly definitively not how he's sitting on the windowsill, I think. Um, oh, dryer. Okay, great, great. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that's probably not it. But it's it helps me to picture it because it's unusual that we get that kind of stage direction. We It's not common. Um, very many scenes in Tolkien's stories go by without us being told anything about the postures of their bodies or the relative distance of their bodies, right? It's just not something that Tolkien gives us a lot of um, when he's narrating a scene. Um, so it's interesting that we you know, we get that where he had been sitting, right? And so therefore, it suggests that Tolkien, it suggests to me that Tolkien was picturing, was visualizing this scene because he's told us that detail, right? So I think he was visualizing the scene. So I'm trying to kind of recapture this scene as Tolkien was visualizing it. And the reason, what I think is most interesting about that is what it tells us about Gandalf, what it tells us about Gandalf's relationship with the hobbits, and even what it tells us about his character, right? Because there are some people who would not sit on a windowsill, right? 
you know, for whom it might be below their dignity to sit on a windowsill, for instance, right? I think it says something about his um, sort of humility, about his, uh, um, about his um, friendliness with them, his comfort with them, and his desire to make them comfortable with him, um, that he's hanging out there sitting on the windowsill. And so trying to imagine how he's sitting on the windowsill helps me to kind of complete that picture. Um, but I agree, Arnas, he's clearly comfortable with the hobbits and wants the hobbits to be comfortable with him. Um, it is a really casual gesture, Admiral Malcontent. And I, I, that's why I find it so striking and why I wanted to pause for a moment on this, um, uh, on this, on this question. But okay, let us start at the top. After that, though, we've already started, so it's too late to start at the top, I suppose. Let us return then to the top. Uh, first, second, second topic. First topic was uh, Gandalf in the windowsill. Second topic, the riders. Um, and the question of destroying ring raids like that, because I'm not going to lie, this is an, innoc- an innocuous looking passage, right? But it contains one of the things I find most confusing. I. There is a word in that third paragraph there that I do not think I can explain. I have no good explanation for it. I need your help. Um, okay. We start with Gandalf's statement, we can't start until we have found out about the riders. That by itself is kind of interesting to me because I wouldn't have thought... Um, I wouldn't have thought that that's what they were sending out scouts about. You know what I mean? I mean, like, okay, so they're sending out scouts. That makes sense. And we talked about it last time. You want to be able to see what kind of a spy network do you want to try to find out? What kind of a, you know, where the watchers are, right? You want to make sure what's going to be the best route for them to take. Should they go over the mountains right here and then go south? Should they go south a little bit and then over the mountains? Should they go far south, right? How, how do they go? What's going to be the best, safest route for them to go? And are, are there enemy spies? If so, where are they looking? Can they distract them? What's going to happen, right? I, all these kinds of things make sense to me. Um, but the riders... We can't start until we have found out about the riders. Found out what exactly? What do they need to find out about the riders? And this, of course, Mary comes in very helpful, as the hobbits so very often do, um, in asking the question that the reader would likely have. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood. Isn't that like the climactic scene we already saw? Right? You can't destroy ring rates like that said Gandalf. No. Ringwraiths are not um, vulnerable to drowning, apparently. Right? Um, First of all, a little footnote here. Tolkien played around with the idea of making a genuine river aversion in the ringwraiths. Um, that it was very difficult for them to cross running water. And in doing this, of course, he is appealing to very old uh, folklore and fairy tale tropes, right? That's a very old idea, the whole uh, can't cross running water thing. Dracula knows it. Um, This is, of course, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, 
Dracula has no problem with sunlight. Dracula can be out in the sunlight all the time. From the very first movie Dracula, Dracula has been made um, like destructible by sunlight, right? Nosferatu in the original Nosferatu film is destroyed when he's revealed in the sunlight and then he just kind of vanishes out of the picture, right? Um, not He doesn't even get a puff of smoke. Um, and from that point on, from Nosferatu forward, sunshine has almost always been like the way that the primary restriction of Dracula. But such is not the case in the book. In the book, it's running water. He can't, he is completely vulnerable to running water. He cannot cross running water on his own power. Uh, and if he were to be immersed in running water while in his coffin, he would be destroyed. So like I said, it's a very old idea. And yes, you can see the same uh, concept lurking in the legend of Sleepy Hollow as well. Absolutely. That's why Ichabod Crane is running for the bridge, right? Absolutely. Um, and yes, in McLear, I agree. Even the uh, the Wicked Witch in the Bucket of Water uh, in, uh, um, in uh, what do you call it, The Wizard of Oz, uh, recalls the same idea, right? Um, so, um, anyway, yeah, so there's all kinds of, um, um, there's all kinds of, uh, legends and traditions about this. And so Tolkien was thinking of invoking those concepts with the Ringwraiths. Christopher Tolkien says in The Hunt for the Ring in Unfinished Tales, says that, um, that Tolkien had been kind of toying with this idea, but that it was really hard to maintain. That is like, you can't, um, you can't, you know, you're, you're, you're not getting very far in life, not being able to cross rivers, right? If the Nazgul are going to set off across, you know, uh, from Mordor, travel from Mordor to the Shire, they're going to have to cross some rivers. Like there's, 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 it's not possible for them to get there without uh, crossing rivers. Uh, So he, he couldn't do the full bore running water treatment, right? That they can't cross running water at all. Right. Um, But uh, yes, fourth dollars, you, you caught my semi quotation there. Um, But um, anyway, so, um, so, but nevertheless, there's still a river sort of thing. Right? And of course, the flood is a big deal all by itself, even without the spiritual boulders, right? Um, so, uh, or even without any material boulders for the matter of that. Um, it is, in a sense, the climactic uh, defeat of the riders in the ford, you know, by the river is, in a sense, the kind of last um, nod to or acknowledgement of that concept, that recollection, that sort of folktale recollection um, of um, the whole running water issue. Um, But um, anyway, yeah. Um, So... You cannot destroy so the fact that you cannot destroy ring ring rates like that is not an absolute given. It's not an absolute given. This is news when Gandalf says it, and I think not just to Mary. I think that we um, now. I mean, Gandalf has already revealed the fact that the Black Riders are not destroyed in his conversation with Frodo back in chapter one of book two, right? So we know uh, that the ring rates are still around, um, uh, but still. 
more other than Mary could be forgiven for thinking that they were destroyed in the flood. And I guess, I, again, I would just emphasize it's not a uh, it's not an absurd idea for them to be destroyed in the flood. Um, and Bjarne Sona, you're right. Even without the mythical implications, you can 100% destroy normal humans like that. You absolutely could. You absolutely could. Okay. Um, so let's go on to the explanations. Um, there are two sentences. And they're doozies, these two sentences. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. Okay. So, um, they stand or fall by him. Okay. So, before this sentence, here's how I thought it worked. I thought that the one ring gave you power to rule over the other rings. So you give these rings to nine mortal kings and thereby ensnare them. And the snare, right, wherein lies the snare? Well, it's at least a twofold snare, right? It's a snare first because these are great rings. And so you give them to the mortal kings, um, promising them immortality. And that's a snare, right? That's a, that is a, uh, that's a trap. Um, that's a trap because, yes, you'll get immortality, but it's not going to pan out exactly like you thought, right? Um, you are going to be um, still a very discreet quantity of butter spread over an enormous amount of bread, right? Those ring wraiths right now are spread over so much bread that you can't even tell there's any butter there at all, right? That's the trick. That's the trap, not just of the nine rings, but of all the great rings for mortals, right? For mortals. The elves, it's different. Um, so that seems to be one way in which he ensnares the nine kings by giving them these rings. He promises them immortality and he's not totally lying, but it is nothing like what they presumably would have hoped or expected uh, from the whole immortality gig, right? But it's clearly also a snare in another sense, which is that he can control them. He dominates them, right? They are his creatures, right? They are his, well, he's not his creatures. He doesn't create them, right? But uh, they are his to command at that point. Like, yes, this will give you power, but it will also make you a slave to me. That's a snare, right? Okay, fine. Yeah, so they ens they're enslaved. And that's also presumably not how they would have expected things to pan out. But in what sense is the power of their master in them? Flamifry, you were uh, puzzling about this earlier on, too, right? 
that doesn't seem to me an obvious part of the program there, right? Um, the ring of power. Now I'm thinking of the nine ring now, right? So I'm imagining like, um, you know, Joe, mortal king. Well, let's say Kamal, right? One of the dudes whose names we know. No, the dude whose name we know, as presumably uh, his mama didn't name him Witch King, <laughs> right? So I don't think that's his given name. Um, but, um, okay, right. So uh, he, you're Kamal, right? And so someone, maybe it's Sauron, maybe it's the mouth of Sauron, maybe it's not that mouth of Sauron, like an earlier mouth of Sauron. I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, uh, you know, the uh, the priest of the local Sauron cult comes to you and says, hey, boy, do I have a deal for you, uh, 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 Mr. Kamal, sir. sir. Uh, this is a magic ring, is a gift of Sauron the Great, and it will give you immortality and power. Isn't that awesome? Right. Um, uh I think I might go back to Joe Nazgul because I can't maintain this with Kamal. So, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, okay. So he, he takes the ring and then he's made immortal, but you know, it doesn't pan out and he's enslaved. And that wasn't part of the uh, explicit, um, that wasn't on the tin either. Um, but at what point does the power of Sauron come into him? That's what I want to know. Um, now, we do know, and uh, Chris, as you were pointing out before, um, there's um, the place where Sauron's power is being slung around, right? Um, the primary example of that we have is in the One Ring itself, right? We know that Sauron did place a lot of his native power in the One Ring. But now here's the other thing. We also know that Sauron has begun at this stage in his downward trend on the path into the void trod by his master before him. Um, he is already he's in full Morgoth mode at this point. And by Morgoth mode, what I mean is um, s distributing your personal spirit power. Uh, resources into other things in order to both strengthen them and control them, right? Morgoth was doing this all the time. This is why Morgoth declines over time um, because he's spent. He's spending himself. He is uh, distributing himself all over the place. That's why, why the orcs do what they do. That's why um, dragons are what they are. So he's he's putting himself into all these things in order to control them, but also in order to empower them to be able to perform his will. Um, Sauron is doing the same thing, right? Now, on the one hand, the One Ring gambit, right? Uh, the, the ring of power gambit on Sauron's part is a, is a big gamble, huge gamble, right? Um, 
it's that's the you know the power that he puts into the one ring is on the one hand the kind of the his stakes that he has to push into the middle of the table if he's going to win that hand right if he's going to take down uh the elf lords who are the only thing as far as he can see the only thing opposing him in middle earth right and then there's the awkward numenor thing and then he takes on the numenor problem right in a different way but anyway right if he's going to if he's going to handle this then he's he's got to he's got to risk things. He's got to put it on the line, right? And so he puts his own power into it, and that's fine. Um, we know that he does that. Now we know it's a bad idea, um, but he seems to be doing more of that later on um, in his life. So okay, like we know he's doing this. We know he does this with his orcs. Remember what happens when Sauron's will is pulled when at the cracks of doom. Right when Frodo's at the cracks of doom, in that sentence, which is possibly from a rhetorical standpoint, one of my uh, two or three favorite sentences in the whole Lord of the Rings. Right? Do you remember that sentence that starts from all his policies and webs of fear? Remember that you know the mind of Sauron shook free. We got all these subordinate, all these uh, prepositional phrases and everything. Right? And then you know, and his anyway. I, Remember his uh, his captains suddenly steerless, bereft of will, right? The, uh, the armies pause. The armies all stop, right? And uh, the orcs are sitting there looking around like, what are we doing here? What's even going on right now, right? We don't even know because Sauron's own will was steering them. He had distributed his will. And right at that moment, when he realizes that the Ring of Power is on the cusp of the Cracks of Doom, he... Uh, he like sucks in all of his will, right, to try to do something about it. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, exactly, Aronos. There's definitely puppetry going on there, right? Um, his the, he's so he's distributing his will in puppetry. That he has distributed some of his power like this into the Nazgul, right? Okay, so I uh, trick these kings these nine kings, and now they, I've enslaved them to my will and I've made them immortal, uh, you know, in this kind of peculiar and doubtless uncomfortable way. Um, so now um, I'm going to I'm going to buff them even more. Right. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pour more of my spirit into them to make them more terrifying and more awful. They are going to be my greatest captains ever. Right. They're going to be awesome. Um, There's the sentence trifle. That's the one. I love that sentence from all his policies and webs of fear and treachery from all his stratagems and wars. His mind shook free. Oh, yeah. Uh, Such a long sentence. Um, I once. um. I'll never forget, Trifle, the look that my 12th grade English teacher gave me when she was teaching us to diagram sentences. I was taking an elective advanced grammar class because geek, and um, we were diagramming sentences, which is so much fun because geek. And um, she said, um, so like, just bring in a sentence from the book that you're reading. <laughs> And I, uh, and I, I, um, brought that sentence in to diagram <laughs> and she, she just gives me this look. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, but anyway, um, that was my sentence that I chose. I really wanted to diagram it. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, okay. So, um, but anyway, my point is um, that uh, he's pro- he, uh, he certainly has poured some of his spirit into them as he did into the orcs um, and m- maybe more of it, right? But that's not what Gandalf's talking about here, right? We know he did that, but that's not what Gandalf is talking about because the orcs... And his, like, Southron captains and that guy, they don't stand or fall by him. I mean, like, they w- they might win or lose by him, so in that sense they could stand or fall. But that's not what Gandalf is talking about. He is explicitly saying, talking about how they may be destroyed. He's talking about their deaths here. He's talking about the continuation of their lives. You can't destroy them like that. Why not? Because the power of the master is him and they stand or fall by him. So when he's talking about standing or falling, he's talking about destruction. He's talking about death here, right? Not success or failure. He's talking about death or continuation of their hideous unlife situation. Um, so I don't think he can be talking about any of that kind of I'm pouring my spirit into these things in order to buff them up and control them more. He already controls them because he holds the nine rings. And um, and anyway, we see what happens when that, um, you know, supporting and dominating force of his will is taken away. So it can't be that. It can't be that. None of them die. Nobody drops dead. Um, some of them commit suicide, remember? So that happens. But none of them just, like, crumble. Uh, win, uh, and I don't think the ring rates would either. So, um, um, yeah, okay, Captain Mo, this is an excellent question, and this is, it's not just, um, uh, this is not just a native speaker issue. What the phrase he's using here, when he says they stand or fall by him, and Captain Mo is wanting for like the connotations of that phrase by him, um, I don't think it means either the two that you've suggested, Captain Mo, by his side or by his hand. Neither, neither of those, neither of those. They stand or fall by him. I believe means they stand or fall. Um, like, by means of his, like, their lives are tied to his. They stand or fall by, according to whether he stands or falls. Yeah, by means of him, right, exactly. As he stands or falls, Emily, yes. That's exactly how I would say it. They stand or fall as he stands or falls. If he falls, they fall. If he stands, they stand. Except the Witch King. Never mind. We'll get to that later. But anyway, let's forget about Eowyn for a minute. Not for a minute. Forget about Eowyn for several years. And we'll come back to that. I'm sticking with this right now. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in 2032. Uh, no problem. Okay. Um, so, then why not use with Turambart? That's a great question. Um uh, yeah, um, I, I think the, so th- think about the difference of those two sen- those two statements. They stand or fall by him or they stand or fall with him. 
with him sounds like um, solidarity. You know what I mean? Um, uh, by him suggests to me that he has some agency in this question as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's causational. I agree. It's causational. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they don't just fall along with him. They fall in, like, it's, it's, his death means their death. Um, it doesn't just mean, uh, to risk leaping forward, right? Gollum has the instinct that when the precious goes, he will die, right? Um, he's not just dying alongside the ring. He's not just going to kill himself when the ring is destroyed, right? Um, it's uh, Gollum is he's going to die into the dust, right? This is his, his his intuition anyway, right? When the ring goes, because it's only the power of the ring that's keeping him alive, right? Um, so uh, to me, it's um. I, I know he does kill himself when the ring is destroyed. I'm saying he's... Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. All right. Um, so, okay. So, how I understand that they stand or fall by him. I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's like uh, somebody who is standing there and... Um, um, someone who's standing there and holding something in their hand, right? If they fall over, the thing falls over by them. Not just with them, but by them, right? Um, it stands or falls by... Uh, so if uh, if you're holding something, right? If you're balancing something in your hand, it stands or falls by you, right? Now you have to have absolute control over it, of course. I'm imagining a thing you just can't drop. Um but you see what I mean, right? Like if you, if you, if you were to fall over, it would fall. It can't, like there's no, it has no choice in the matter, right? Um, that the only thing which is holding it up in the first place is gone. And so it will go, right? It can't possibly stand any further. Um, but I also do, the thing that I like about this analogy, the reason I was fishing for this kind of an analogy is, um, that uh, you could drop it. You could just dump it. You could let it go. And it can fall over without you falling over, right? But it can't stand if you fall over, right? Um, yeah. So, um, um, yeah. See, but Cecilia, I think it's different than somebody being led by someone else. Like, if I'm leading you and I follow into a pit, you'll fall in with me. I think it's more than that. It would be more, Cecilia, like if I were carrying you on my back, right? If I were carrying you on my back and I fell into a pit, then yeah, you you fall into the pit too, right? Um, no choice, right? Um, but there still is always the possibility that I could, you know, uh, dump you off my back. If, and right, it's possible for you to fall and me not to, is what I'm saying uh, there. But, um, okay, so... Uh, that seems to be what Gandalf means 
when he says they stand or fall by him. But the question is, how? How? How is that possible? I have a theory. I have a theory. Here's my theory. My theory is that Gandalf is skipping a step here. He's using some shorthand. Okay? All right, track with me on this. What power is keeping the ringwraiths alive? What power? Their rings. Not Sauron's ring. The nine rings are keeping them alive. Right? It's their rings of power that are sustaining their lives. So long as their nine rings of power are around, don't think about Eowyn, don't want to talk about it. So long as their rings of power are around, they're staying alive. Right? Um, but if... So what has to happen for them to die? Their ring has to be destroyed. When would their ring fail? When the one ring fails. And when would the one ring fail? That's the mechanism of Sauron's fall. The power of their master is in them and they stand or fall by him. That's true. Sauron is only going to fall if the ring is destroyed. And if the ring is destroyed, the nine rings will lose their efficacy, presumably, and the ring wraiths will also go out, to use the phrase that the return of the king is going to do. Right. Um, yeah, so if, the, if, the, if they're bound to the nine and the nine is bound to the one and the power of their master is in the one, that puts the ring and the destruction of the one ring at the epicenter of this entire equation. Right? Um, as I say, Gandalf's not spelling out every step. He's not, this is not, he's not laying this out like a logician would lay it out, right? Um, but especially in the context, I can't help but think this way, especially in the context of the whole Council of Elrond, right? They've just been talking about the destruction of the ring and why the destruction of the ring is essential and how the fall of Sauron can only be brought about by the destruction of the ring. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and exactly, Spirit Raccoon, the keepers of the three are not dependent on their rings to survive. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, they're, they're, you know, they're not going to drop dead. Um, uh, but the ring rates would, Gollum would, but again, Gollum is more direct because his life comes directly from the one ring, not from the nine rings. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, exactly. Admiral Malcontent, I mean, he's, he's, I think both skipping steps and ignoring potential scenarios here, right? Um, but it would make sense for him to be, this reading of this sentence works for me because the whole pivot point of it, what it basically does is it brings us right back to the end of the council, right? Why is it so, why must the ring go to Mordor, right? Why is this so essential? Look, the ring raids themselves can only be destroyed if the ring is destroyed. Um, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Belongsman refuses to b believe that Gandalf could be vague when describing anything. Yeah, exactly. I know. Totally out of character, isn't it? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Okay. That works. If we see him speaking kind of elliptically, sort of skipping steps in that way. Exactly, Kurtzman. He couldn't say it any plainer than that. No, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Turambar was thinking the same thing. Exactly. Um, yeah, okay. So, okay. 50% of the way there. I'm tracking. But we still haven't reached... I told you that there's a word coming up that I can't explain. Unfortunately, it was not any of those words. <laughs> we hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. You can probably guess which word I can't explain, right? You see the hard word here in this? Yeah, unmasked. Absolutely. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that means. Unmasked. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked. So, unhorsed, I get. Right? That's easy. Their horses were killed, and now they don't have any horses. So they're less dangerous because less swift. But in what sense are they unmasked? How were they masked then? Exactly. Um, unmasked, yeah, revealed. Uh, Brandon, I agree. That does seem to be the general thing. Um, here's my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that I can't imagine that all he means is that they lost their cloaks. Aragorn told us that they wore the black cloaks and the black boots in order to give shape to their nothingness. Right? To give shape to their nothingness. That was Aragorn's phrase. Right? Okay, fine. You're telling me nowhere between Rivendell and it's a journey of like 110 days down towards the, you know, vicinity of Mordor. And you're telling me they can't find a cloak anywhere around there? Nowhere? No cloaks. No cloaks for hundreds of leagues. Really? Not a black one. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Yeah. It's just they can find one, just not one in like their own idiom. Right. And if they show up in like a, a party colored patchwork cloak, say, then uh, uh, they will certainly be less dangerous because more comical. Right. I get, I just, <laughs> right. Maybe they have allergies and have to wear specific textiles. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, maybe they, they need specialty sizes. Uh, yeah, I... Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, yes, I agree. Fourth Dauntless says, um, if they have no shape and are basically formless nothingness, they can't just clothe themselves. There must be a process. Yes, the word unmasked in this context... Again, I can't imagine it just means the cloak fell off and now I have no cloak. And I mean, the whole reason they were wearing cloaks and boots in the first place was to interact with people, right? 
because they were going to go interviewing folks. Uh, you know, hi, have you seen Baggins? Do you know the way to the Shire? Thank you very much. Um, uh, I'll come back with gold, right? I mean, like, this is, this is, um, we know them to be doing this. We see them doing this in the Shire. Um, so, okay. Um, I get it that, you know, the, um, the, Gaffer already called him a black chap, right? Because he couldn't see anything but blackness, right? Um, I, uh, I just kind of don't know what to say, by the way, when people want to make that into a racial thing, right? The gaffer isn't saying, oh, they had black skin, like they had black skin color. Right, the point they don't have skin, they don't have faces, they don't have they don't they've got invisible noses. Right? It's not that they have black noses, they have invisible noses, right? Uh under a black hood, in the shadows under a black hood. Like all that he could see was blackness at his door. And but there was a cloak. So at least he was like, Oh, it's probably a person inside all of that blackness, right? Of whatsoever color that the gaffer imagines that person to be. Um but um uh but anyway, it's um they uh, yeah, they give shape to their nothingness so that the gaffer, who is already uh, uh, not, you know, partially deaf and partially blind, isn't standing there at his door hearing the voice and just looking around like, eh, what? Is there anybody there? Right? Like, he can see at least the cloak. Right? And so he talks to them. Um, so I... Anyway... My point is, if it's just about wearing a cloak for that reason, why do they even need them? And why are they less dangerous without them? I mean, okay, what, they're less dangerous because they can't interview the gaffer anymore? Right? I mean, because they can't offer gold to Farmer Maggot? I mean, no, it doesn't make any sense. Unmasked has to mean more than that. I agree, Admiral Malcontent. That's exactly where I am. I cannot imagine that unmasked is literally just a physical thing. I cannot imagine that either. Um, why would it matter if they don't physically have a presence if their main ability is a form of spiritual warfare? Exactly. Are they less dangerous when they're invisible completely? I... No, I'm, I vote more dangerous, especially now when the primary concern is not even fighting them, right, but keeping things from them. If, if their greatest threat in this moment is as very effective scouts for the enemy, I don't know, but I say invisibility seems like an advantage there for them, I mean. Um, yeah, I... I um, so, yeah, I think it's spiritual masks that we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon, I just got to your till wraiths have faces comment. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, and I agree with you, uh, Ian McClear, the cloak is clearly camouflage. 
right? That's why they use the cloaks. The physical cloaks are for camouflage purposes. And that seems to me, that's how I've always understood Aragorn's comment about them. When he talks about giving shape to their nothingness, right? That's why you give shape to, why give shape to your nothingness? Why not, you know, be loud and proud about your nothingness, right? Why do you need to hide your nothingness, right? Um, you know, and, and the answer is because they're disguised. It's camouflage. It's a disguise. They're disguising themselves as people, right? So that they can interact with people under certain circumstances and be mistaken for a person, right? But that's, we're not... Gandalf is not worried they're going to get interviewed by the riders, right? They're worried. He's worried about something else. Um, so, um, yeah. All right. So, the masking, whatever the masking was, maybe the masking was connected with the clothes. Maybe, uh, Fourth Dauntless, as you suggest, uh, the berobing of the ringwraiths was merely an outward part of some kind of process, right? Um, uh, also, there is... We'll get a little bit more of this later, I think if I'm remembering correctly. But there is the supposition, there seems to be the supposition that once they are unmasked, if they are, if they have no material ability to manifest at all, they have to go back to Mordor. They can't hang out in that form. They are weakened. They've been stripped of their ability to interact with the world. And so therefore, they've got to go reset. They have to make their way back. They've got no choice but to make their way back to the respawn point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, That's um, how I've always understood that. And again, I think we'll get a later reference which suggests that. Um, that makes them for a while less dangerous. That would make sense of that, that follow-up statement, right? And so made for a while less dangerous. Less dangerous, why? Less dangerous, A, because they can't even interact with corporeal beings anymore for a while. And B, because they can't hang out here and continue to spy. They've got to hightail it back to Mordor. They've got to limp their little spiritual way all the way back to Mordor and get remasked, get re whatever the process is, right? Sauron has got to wump them up a new appearance, a new outward appearance, a new mask. Um, and until that happens, they're more or less helpless-ish. And, but that's why he says, for a while, until they are re-clothed, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I don't think they can manifest their knives, Kurtzimus. I don't. 
I don't. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they become butter without any bread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I'm not sure I want to continue extending, uh, the metaphor there, but something like that. Yeah. Sort of, sort of like that. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. So they, they, I, I, I think unmasked is something that significant. Um, and I think that we will see some references uh, later on that support this idea that when they are unmasked, unclothed, uncloaked there, um, what has happened is they've been wiped. It's like they died, sort of. Not quite-ish, sort of. Kind of died? Not quite died, but they were decorporealized. Right. They could hold knives. They could wear cloaks and hold knives. Right. Um, they. Uh, um, yeah, they get decarnated. Yeah. Something like that. Um, their link with the physical world seems pretty tenuous. Right. If that link is something which is basically reinforced by directly by the power of Sauron. If that's, if we imagine that that is something that he gives to them, right? So he, through his own power, bestows upon them the ability to manifest and interact with the physical world. Their, their butter is spread so thinly across the bread, they can't even do that anymore, right? They have become wraiths. They have become ghosts, um, or like ghosts, so that they cannot interact. They go through stuff, right? They 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 can't interact with the physical world. But Sauron endues them with the power. To but like it's like I don't know. I guess a chunk of power that he gives them, and it has to be refreshed. If they, if they lose it, that's what gets stripped from them. That's what the unmasking would mean. Then in this theory, is that that power that Sauron lays upon them to enable this interaction with the corporeal world. And we know they're really interacting with the corporeal world. They're riding real horses. They're wearing real boots. Um, they're wearing real cloaks. They're carrying real knives that other real people can pick up when they drop them, right? Um, so we know that they are actually interacting with the material world and when... Um, but if they lose that ability... They don't have internally to themselves the wherewithal to do it again. They need to be redone, re I don't know what, reanointed somehow by Sauron, right? Uh, in order to be um uh in order to be masked, right? They have to be remasked uh in uh in Mordor. Okay, um, that's the best I got, and that would explain why they're for a while less dangerous. For a while, he's saying because it's not permanent, they can get re-upped, right? They can re-up with Sauron. They can get they can get buffed again, remasked, and sent back, remasked, rehorsed, back in the game, right? Um, and so, so don't think that this is a permanent downgrade of the Ringwraiths, guys, he says to the Hobbits, right? They'll be back. But, um, um, 
Would that imply they get stronger as Sauron gains strength? Absolutely. And Dreyer, that also helps to explain how they get stronger as they get closer to Mordor. Which is clearly true. They are much weaker out here in the hinterlands from a Mordor-centric point of view. Right. Um, the closer they get to Mordor, physically closer they get to Sauron, the more powerful they are. Their power increases. Um, because it's the power of their master in them. That's the but when, when we were talking about the power of their master before, and I said I can totally believe that he pours his power into them in order to make them stronger and stuff, that there you go. Right? That I think is it. Um but again, it's not just their mask that they lose when he dies. That too, of course. But they lose their existence too, because their rings are destroyed. Okay. Um, yes. Um, yeah. Now, B. Vargas, I agree that in theory, in their weakened form, if they can pass through objects and be invisible, you'd think that would make them really good spies. That's exactly what I was thinking. That doesn't really seem to be an advantage. <clears throat> Unless, B. Vargas, they have no choice. Like, unless they are drawn back. Like, they get pulled back. Um, they are impelled to return to Sauron, right? They can't help it. Um, they can't stick around. Because um, here's another thing that could be attached to it. It could not only be... One thing we know that they have is the ability to interact with physical things, and they could well lose that because they have nothing. Nothingness is what they are, right? So one thing which Sauron's will, according to this theory, would be granting them would be that ability to interact with corporeal things. But... But uh, B. Vargas, what if the second thing, the, another thing that he's giving them, is basically the power of will to be able to operate independently, right? That also is his power um, that they lose when they are unmasked. And so, therefore, all they can do anymore is just go back, return back to Sauron. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's true, Toramarthen, that their ability to perceive the physical world was sketchy, even with physical form, but without it, they might be totally blind. That is very possible. That is very possible. And B. Vargas, that's a big reason why, um, they would be not effective as spies. If you, um... Being invisible and nobody being able to, to see or detect you is handy as a spy, right? You not being able to see or detect anything else is not so good. It's not so useful as a spy, right? If they can't either interact or with or even perceive the world around them, then what can they do? All they can do, if they are in a world in which they have no senses other than their spiritual senses, right? So I'm imagining an unmasked Nazgul, right? Unmasked Nazgul who can no longer even see the corporeal world around him, right? What can he see? What can he, he can see the sun, right? He's affected by the sun. Uh, so you can tell when the sun's up and when the sun's down. He can sense the power of Sauron far away, right? So he knows where that is and how to get there. And he can see Gorfindel, Right? So uh, he'd know where Gorfindel is. He'd be able to. He'd be able to find Gorfindel, uh, but not. He, that's not what he's going to elect to do. 
uh, he can know when the sun's up and he would know where Sauron is, right? So what's, what's he going to do? What can he do, right? Um, he would... Uh, um, he would go home, and yes, I agree, Michael, he would certainly go home by a route. He would go back to Sauron, but by a route which avoids both Imladris and Lorien, which no doubt he can also perceive. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And have to cross several rivers on the way back. Yeah, there's just no way of avoiding that, Rayburns. Um, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, I that's... I, 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 I'm, I'm obviously, I'm doing a lot of speculating here, right? I'm adding a lot to the text in this theory. Um, I think that the things I've added to the text here, added to this text, are compatible with other things elsewhere in the text. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, but, uh, I think that that would work. Um, yeah, Kurtzimus, I agree. <laughs> in our defense, Gandalf seems to have done some speculating too. I agree. Um, so, but we must find out for certain. So, what he wants to find out for certain is: Were they all unhorsed and unmasked? Are they all in this state? Because if any of them are still in their free agent, able to interact with the corporeal world, um, Nazgul shape, right? then that would be trouble. Big trouble, right? The biggest possible trouble as far as keeping the, uh, you know, the ring, the Fellowship of the Rings destination a secret. Um, yeah, Admiral Malcontent, that's the direction I'm kind of leaning towards, that maybe the mask is their physical abilities. They aren't physical beings anymore, so the mask could be all the physical actors with a world that a spirit can't normally do. Exactly. How do they wear cloaks? Um, and this kind of goes up to the question, Praise, was it you were asking about this? Like, is it actually the cloak that's sitting on the horse? No. No, they're... Um, they can wear a cloak because they've been masked. And the mask doesn't mean they put a cloak on, but they can wear it because the cloak gives them, you know, shoulders to hang the cloak on, right? Or at least a parallel to shoulders. They can sit on the horse because they have backsides, spiritual backsides, right? Um, they can interact with the cloak, they can interact with the horse, they can interact with their boots, they can hold it all together. They act like bodies, right? They are given something like bodies. But it's not an actual body. It's not a physical body. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a mask, it's just a mask. But it does enable them to act physically. And yes, that seems to have been destroyed. To go back to the original verb that Gandalf and Mary are talking about, it's about destroy. Right? You cannot destroy ring rates like that. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood. They weren't destroyed in the flood, but their masks were destroyed in the flood. Is it the water? Hard to think that a good ducking brings that about. Right. I mean, like if they fell, if they like if uh, Kamal had fallen off the Buckleberry Ferry into the Brandywine, would he have been unmasked? I doubt it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think it's 
the spiritual stuff, right? Spiritual horses, spiritual boulders, the power of Elrond and of Gandalf combining, uh, unleashed in the flood. But, but let's not rule out the power of the river too. Remember all that running water stuff and remember Gandalf's comment about the great vigor in the waters out of the mountains. I don't just mean water flows strongly around here. What on earth does that even mean? Presumably it flows as strongly as anywhere else. Um, but I think that he is referring to the spiritual force of the water itself. Don't forget Goldberry's mom, right? We know there are spirits living in the rivers. And when Gandalf says there is great vigor in the waters around here, right? I think that's what he's talking about, that the spirits of these rivers are strong spirits and they're all, they get all riled up. That's how does Elrond make the flood? Elrond commanded it. Whom is he commanding? The water? No, I don't think so. I think he's commanding the river, right? Like uh, Goldberry's mom. Um, yeah, the local spirit has an attitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So, yes, all of those things combined destroyed their masks. If this is how if we're right about the definition of masks here. Okay. Um, whew. Okay. So that was good. <laughs> we, got, we, we talked about two important things from this slide. We talked about the ring wraiths and the destruction of their masks. And I'm feeling a little bit better about the word unmasked. And... We talked about Gandalf sitting on the windowsill. The two obviously most important things about this passage. Um, <laughs> right now, Kurtzimus wants to know, how, how would a ring race sit on the windowsill? He wouldn't if he'd been unmasked, Kurtzimus, right? Because you need to have that, like, semi-corporeal backside to sit on a windowsill, obviously. Right? Exactly. You need the butt cheeks in order to sit on the windowsill. Um, so there you are. Um, Anyway, okay, so there are more things to talk about, obviously. Um, we need to talk about not only Gandalf's reference to his uh, coming with them in the party and what are the implications of that, but we also need to talk about why he brings this up and Frodo's reaction to that. Um, so there we are. There we are. Yeah, we did. If we, if you're right, Spirit Raccoon, if there was one thing... Uh, uh, that uh, joined one common thread in our two topics of discussion this evening. It was people's backsides, right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of where we were. And then the Strider, yes, yeah, Silk Westcott. After that, we'll talk about the Strider uh, at the end. We'll make sure not to forget to talk about the Strider. So tune in next week when we talk about Gandalf's volunteering, uh, his interactions with Frodo, and the Strider. Uh, so. Uh, strong work, folks. Uh, uh, good, uh, good, good discussion here tonight. Uh, more next week, and I will be here next week. So uh, we won't have a mid-slide cliffhanger. I'm hoping uh, for a while. Um, but then don't forget after next week. So I'll be here next week. After next week, I'm going to be gone for two more weeks. I'm afraid. Um, I'm doing the long road trip 
to bring my son to college, uh, driving my son out to college in North Dakota, uh, which is a fur piece from New Hampshire. So um, that's going to be a long, <laughs> long trip. So I'll be gone for two weeks uh, there. All right. Uh, Thanks. Uh, yeah, Ray, uh, in uh, uh, the University of North Dakota, in Grand Forks is where he's going. Uh, he's in the aviation program there. Uh, so he's really excited to start there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, excited. Actually, I was thinking about that, uh, uh, Ray, if you're uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be driving right not too far from you, actually. Uh, I was thinking of stopping in to say hi. But um, anyway, um, let's. Um, um, so, hey, be honest, you just got a master's from the University of North Dakota. For real? That's awesome. <laughs> very cool. Go fighting hawks. Um, very neat. Yeah, yeah. My um, uh, my son is starting as a freshman this fall. So there we go. Um, all right. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, it's time for the field trip now. Good evening, everyone. There we go. Good evening, Valori. How are you? Doing all right. Nazgul. But did not see that coming. No, I confess I did not. I did not either. I did not uh, exactly foresee the uh, uh, the posterior uh, uh, motif that was going to be running through uh, this. But like, where and how do people sit? Is uh, exactly where. Okay, so we're going to head off to the South Bree. Um, uh, stable is where we're headed. All right. Sounds good. So would you call yeah. that their backstory? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of terrible puns, I know what the Witch King of Angmar's name is. Witcher. Oh, yeah? Is what? Witchard. Witchard? I see. Yes. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Witch is always short for Witchard. Right. Yeah. Um, so King is his middle name then or his last name? Yeah, I think it's like Richard, Richard King, King. Is that his, is that his Angmarian name? or something like that? Right, I see. Yeah. Okay. That's what his mother calls when he's in trouble. Richard King is Richard. Angmarian. <laughs> okay. I see. All right. You pick up this underwear right now. Right. The spiritual underwear. Spiritual underwear. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm that's definitely, an There's advantage. definitely going to have to be a cartoon of a spiritual butt. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's tough. Yeah, it's kind of t-shirt worthy though. <laughs> Uh, on a more serious note, though, it is interesting, though, that that like the the sort of the the great uh, when, when the Nazgul's are, are unpowered, the invisibility, you know, visibility is their boon and invisibility, their handicap, whereas the one ring is very much the opposite. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. And you can see how it's um, and again, that's directly related to the whole butter and bread thing. Right. You know, mm -hmm. the, the invisibility uh, that you remember even Gandalf's linking it to that about how he talks about uh, eventually you become invisible permanently, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And it's that same it's that same dynamic, right? Um, it's it, it, but you're right. That's like the irony of the whole situation. So we're going to Anak Kurfu. Kurfu, right? I assume so because it's the only one in the Elder Slade that we can get to yes, from here. So. so okay, it's a holiday island. Uh, 147 silver. That's like the most expensive stable master trip I can ever remember taking. Yeah. I'm glad I'm on this tune. 
where it's like uh, four thousand gold. I have that. You know. Right. There, uh, okay. Yeah. Narnian seems to have five hundred gold, so I guess he's okay. Oh dear. Need to need some money real quick. No, five hundred gold. He's got. I think. Is, oh, gold. Is, All right. Oh, yeah. yeah gold. Yeah, yeah. We Maybe give you money. Yeah, that's what I remember. He received an endowment, which was very kind. He got a grant. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's part of He's still working off his Exploring the Lord of the Rings grant. Okay. All right. So last time I was deliberately shutting my eyes and not looking around because this is exactly right. This is where we were looking up to. Yeah. We, we are getting our wish because down there, way down there that's yes there it is right Fromsburg um I yes think so yes that's Fromsburg down there so we are now up in the dwarf ruins we were looking at from down below which is oh. spectacular okay first of all this reminds me a very great deal of that other place what was it called the um one up in the where are we going down to the wells of wine flood this was sundergrot that's the one it reminds me a lot of yeah 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 with the blue like the purplish blue stone work Mm -hmm. i think it's blue jj it's like a it's like a i mean it's definitely bluish for sure but now, I think it's more purpley, isn't it? It's not quite as bright blue as Sundergrot was. Yeah, um, it's like that dark purple that you get in the Blue John Quartz or something like that. Yeah, because Sundergrot was very, um, very blue. It's like, um, like marble. Okay, so now I want to go up and into there. but I'm trying to see without falling catastrophically. Okay, so that's a, a rough, broken portion of the wall. So that wall used to extend across, but there's been an issue here. Okay, yep. so wall Namely extended a cliff, across I to think. there. And so this, what's up here, was like an interior keep of some sort? Yep. Okay, and notice the big old crack in the wall there. There's, there was obviously a, an issue. Here, some kind of earthquake or something. Or just, yeah, erosion tearing off the cliff face, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I love the gold accents. Yeah, the gold is fascinating. And that was in Sundergrot, too. There was a lot of, there was a lot of gold mm-hmm. in, in Sundergrot, too. It's pretty decadent. Right? Can we get all the way across from here? Looks like you guys I'd are be... managing yeah. it. Okay. All right. Oh, man, oh. I hate playing chicken with the cliff. Yeah, I know. Cliff always wins. I... Yeah, the cliff always wins. Can you? Nope, 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 nope. Hmm. Oh, here we go. Can you go down? All through the map. Yeah, you can go down a little. Just keep moving, you know? Just not much. Hope you don't fall into a hole. Okay, good. There we go. No, no, I think we're supposed to go down there. There's like minerals and stuff. Yeah, we made it to the other side. Okay. Yep. That's good. All right, so. A wall with like a colonnade, like a series of arches, like a, a kind of uh, cloister wall along here is like uh, almost like a, like a bailey wall. Yeah. You have your ramparts on top. It's definitely meant for looking down and keeping hold of things. Yeah, you'd think, right? I mean, it's. Um... 
got the lovely view. We can see all the ruins from up here. Ooh, it's hang awesome, on. Yeah. We can see all the ruins from up here. <laughs> I'm trying to see if we can understand anything better about the kind of urban layout of Fromsburg uh, as was from up here. Now yeah, that we can see it, all like the... We got our castle keep, yeah. We got the castle keep up there, and then we have... The tip, sure. Yeah, and then it just looks like two large superstructures with possibly smaller structures inside. Yeah, this this whole thing down here on the right was a big old thing. And uh -huh. then this one up here was a big old thing. But doesn't it look like almost rows? It looks almost like there were like either buildings along it looks like there were streets. Doesn't it look like there were streets? Or something like streets. I mean it's they're yeah, definite it's, it's like rows. It's like a almost like apartment blocks with the cities. Yeah. Something like that. That's just what I'm thinking. I mean this was um there was a lot here and you can see what was the main road leading up to from up to the keep, right? The main road that comes down from the keep. And then there's that first smaller set of buildings on the right hand side. Right. Yeah. And then you go down up into the uh, upper part of the peninsula and there were, yeah, uh, several lots, as you say, JJ, that, that makes sense. Um, it does look like there was something like an urban layout here. And I'm wondering if like the big outcropping, rock outcropping in the middle, I'm wondering if that wasn't um, part of like maybe like we, we could see that there was an earthquake up here. Right. There's more than just the crumbling of constructed stone over time. Um, part of the whole thing is just gone and you can see how the wall is cracked and tilted in some places. So there was obviously some earthquake activity at some point up here. Maybe that kind of thrust up this awkward piece of uh, rock in the middle. But I don't or, remember. I would think the ruins would be more wrecked the down there. The other thing is maybe the maybe the stones down there fell off of the cliff and rolled down there. Right. That's possible. Well, no, but the, they weren't these stones anyway. The same color, I mean, as yeah. these. Oh, well, as, as the, the main. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I was thinking of the blue stone, uh, the blue and gold stone. No, no, the cliff face. That's, the cliff you know, face, it's yeah. That, it's missing a big chunk over there. Right, right. Oh, I see. So that instead of thrusting rock up, it just landed on top. Yeah. The question is, where did the dwarf architecture go? So right. Well, got jumbled into bits and then grass grown over it or something. Uh, yeah. Perhaps. But, um, but yeah, it really, this really does suggest that Fromsburg here was not, was a city, like an actual, like honest to God city up here, mm -hmm. which is something we've not seen anywhere. Any evidence of, I mean, uh, even back in, what's it called? Uh, uh, the, the, the first town that we went to in the Wells of Lang Flood, um, uh, Limlock. That's it. Oh yeah. Um, even down uh, in Limlock, where we saw the um, uh, these kinds of ruins, the same kinds of ruins that we saw down there in Fromsburg, um, uh, we were noticing those for the first time. Um, there, it didn't look like it was a major city. It looked like they probably did have a, a stronghold up there. You know, there were definitely people who lived up there on that hill where Limlock is. Um, but uh, but this looks like a legit city, and that's really interesting. Yeah. It does make it look like this might have been the capital of that old, old, old civilization. Yes, of, of the Eotheod, yeah, yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole thing that they built there at Fromsburg. Um, either... 
when they moved up the first time, or when Fromm killed Scatha the Worm, or like it might have been both. We don't know the dates of, of Fromm and Scatha. Yeah. Um, do we? Does it say in the... And I often overlook things in Appendix B. Um, does the oh. Tale of Years... Is it, can anybody look it up? Uh, JJ, can you look this up and see? In the Tale of Years, does it tell us anything about uh, Fromm or Scatha? Um, mm. Do we know when that happened? I'd be interested to hear that because... If not, as I think probably not, um, then uh, um, then I think that um, we could speculate that yeah. Fromm was the one who established, you know, the, that he was one of the first leaders of the Aotheod. Maybe not the one who brought them north, but the one who established this, their first um, stronghold, well, that their first stronghold. Hmm. Well, we got Angmarum up here. Yeah, we got Angmarum up here. That is interesting. We didn't have any of those down the slope, right? Nope. Just orcs. I spy okay. with my little eye something that begins with G. Uh, um, in the distance. Uh, good to bad? Uh, good to yeah. bad? Oh, yeah. Which distance? This distance? Yep, the far distance. Far distance. To the northwest. Oh, northwest. Okay. Okay. That's to the west. Dark. Is, oh, is it oh. bad? You don't have your. Ah, oh, you can't see it. I don't you think don't I can see your, it. Is it that uh, lump in the middle over there? No, it is not. Um, it's not. It's not showing up in your screen. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Where you're circling your cursor. That. That's it. Right, it's yeah, like, I figured that was the direction because it's the only place direction which we can see to the distance. Um, yeah. Uh, um, hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. So yeah, I think. All right. So going to bat is off in this direction. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It, yep. I yeah. Posted um, a screenshot in there. Ah, uh, I see. Right. Oh, yes. yeah. I totally don't see that either. Okay. Um, right. Okay. So towers. off in the distance, you can see towers. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, in the nearer term, what on earth is going on here? Okay. So a couple. There, I, have, I am confused. And I am confused on several heads. Hmm. I shall enumerate them starting in no particular order. Confusion head number one. What was going on with this river? Was there a bridge? I see arches, but I don't see a bridge. There's like an, a top oh. arch and a bottom arch. I don't see, and, and it looks like there was a lower arch or something. I oh. don't see any evidence of bridge anywhere, which puzzles me. Yeah, it's a waterfall. It's not like it's they're, they're using it for ships to go through. Right, exactly. Point number two. What is up with those completely different monoliths in the middle? Like those, the completely different... Um, uh, oh. Gray stone? Yeah, the long beardy and the knotwork? Yeah. Why do we have these random long beardy and obelisks? 
in the middle of this blue and gold stone. It just like it's completely out of keeping. Looks super weird, and I can't explain it. And there's one here, and there's one up on the hill up there, and we can they see one in the like background. They look like they got some wear and tear on them too. There's bits yeah. missing out of them. They're not like, new. Maybe they... They're not just like, hey, we come and claim this place for, you know, in the name of the Lonely Mountain or whatever. Like, Matter that's of fact, not the, the, the dark and the gold looks like it's newer. It does. It does, if anything. And it's clearly ancient um, on account of how this arch is all broken down and stuff. Is there one so, of those on the edifice next to us? Can we get a uh, look? No. Okay, so up at the top of this edifice up on the hill, there's exactly the same pattern, right, of the obelisk with the knotwork and a vertical line down the side and then kind of around the pyramidal top of the column, right, mm -hmm. which is exactly the same. Yes, exactly the same. As we see, it's just this one doesn't match and the other one does. Huh. Um, well, I wonder if the old one on this one fell over and they replaced it with the black one. Is it replaced with local stone because they couldn't get any of the blue stuff? Um, the I fact that it's older makes me think that maybe the the black and gold stuff was built up around the old stone. But on this version over here to the east, they didn't have the old marker, so they made a copy of it in the black stone. Maybe. Although local stone, I don't know. All the stone here is gray. So it, I'd say the, the gold and the black marble was the vanity project with the imported stone. Right, right. Oh, hang on. Update on Fram. Thank you, JJ, for quoting that. All right. So I was close. Frumgar is the name of the dude who leads the people to Aotheod, and Fram is his son. So, ah. right. Yeah. So he would have been a step. So, Fr so Frumgar leads them up here, and then presumably young or youngish Fram slays Skather the Worm and establishes Fromsburg. Hmm. That tracks. So that would have been the major city of the Aotheod, Fromsburg. Uh, named after Fram, the son of the one who led them up and their, their big hero who established them in this region. And um, he built that city down there. And so when they, so when the, uh, like when Gondor is communicating with, the, like, you know, when, uh, when, when Kyrian says, hey, uh, take the red arrow up to the Aotheon because we need help. It's, it would have been to Fromsburg, to the city that he would have sent the red arrow. Oh. Right. To find them. Something gotcha. like that. But it's not dated. So, but but that's I think it still answers the question. I think that that confirms my speculations that Fromm was part of the founding, essentially, of, okay. of this stuff. Okay. Anyway, but we were talking about dwarfs. Yeah, stone. but yeah, Framsburg makes sense. What the, what the diddly ding dong is this? No, it doesn't make sense. So, and and uh, thirdly, and most importantly, uh, on the heads on which I am confused. What are the dwarves building all these towers for anyway? Like, seriously. It, the wall is kind of weird to start yeah. with, right? But whatever, I give them the wall. But then we've got this little keep inside the wall. And okay, like, sometimes you build a keep, right? We've seen them 
when they're coming out of the mountains, right, and kind of making a, like Sundergrat, or mm-hmm. like, um, uh, what's it called? The place way up in the Misty Mountains with the big raid, um, Heligrod? Uh, yeah. yeah. Heligrod, yeah. Heligrod? Places like yeah. that where we see, and those are all like major entry points into the mountain, right? They're strongholds, yeah. but they're not like castles built on the flat. You know what I mean? They're yeah, I mean, set in the sides of mountains. Yeah, we'd see, we've seen buildings like this in, in Moria, although not on, on this tree, but we, I've seen buildings like this in Moria, but they're more like the underground and you're descending yes. exactly. below. And they're doing it all over the place. Look, we got another tower over there on the west, on that other hill. And then we've got the bigger towers in here. Like, just sitting there. Uh, all yeah. on their own, in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're just particularly vertically minded dwarves building towers and fortresses on the mountains, but on top of the mountains. It does beg the question, who are they trying to impress? Who are they trying to impress? Who are they trying to defend themselves from that they're building fortresses? And if they're trying to defend themselves, why are they building above ground anyway? Wouldn't any sensible dwarf try to defend himself under the ground? Yeah, underground really is best. All you have to do is stand in a doorway and just wait with a hammer, and eventually everyone will just come through. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's um. Yeah, uh, GDC. I agree. It seems like a very distinctive and very local school of dwarvish architecture. Um, and I think Nancy's theory that the northern dwarves are just odd um, uh, seems quite plausible, really. Um, so it's a radical, the radical architectural wave. I mean, yeah. we've already had our prankster. We already had our prankster with the offset arches. That's true. That's true. Maybe he was just a taste of, uh, you know, what we get here. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm dubbing him Snorri the Mad now. Snorri the Mad. Okay. Snorri, I like that. Snorri. is a great name. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's well, traditional. All right. So not many conclusions, but much puzzlement. Um, do we think these were long beards? Everything does look long beardian, but I don't know who this new group is that came in. Because I mean, again, okay. this is very similar to Moria. I've seen the I've seen the black and gold in Moria, which still makes me think Moria. I mean, that was the height of dwarven hubris, so this makes sense in that context. Right, but it's long beard. It's like it's long beards all the way down, isn't it? I mean. Don't we get don't all long? I mean, I know that we get the dower hands out in the east or the west, sorry. Mm-hmm. And I know that we get the what are they called? Stout axes down there in Mordor. Yeah. Right. Um, that, you know, Lotro has been speculating about other dwarf peoples, which is fun. Like they've got to be somewhere. You know, we know they yeah. showed up to fight, uh, you know, the war with the orcs that culminated in the uh, the Battle of Essenarbul. So obviously. They've got to be somewhere. Um, um, yeah, I kind of want to do some missions now just so I can get a feeling for the, like, the, the mindset and the ethos of these people. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... I mean, if I had to guess, I would guess that this is a diff- these are not longbeards. That this is a different set of dwarves. It's just... 
these just it just does not look like the other. You think about Thorin's Gate. You think about, um, mm-hmm. um, well, not Gondaman because that was an Elvish building in the first place. But um, so Gondaman's a bad architectural data point. Um, <laughs> you think of Helm's Deep. You think of Mor- uh, Moria. Obviously, is the big mm. example, the cl- the classic example of uh, of Longbeardian architecture. That in Erebor, of course. And it's just like, these are two castle in the clouds. You know, they're too spiry and pointy for Longbeardian architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Longbeardian architecture is more horizontal than vertical. And it's more like horizontal and geometric, right? Uh, so so we're thinking the gray stuff is not Longbeard. It was just, it was these well, guys... Because like see, that's the thing is that like the, it looks kind of long beardian, but I think it's just the color that's making me think that. Because if you look, that exact same knotwork is going down in gold. Yeah, we've seen that knotwork before. You're right. Yeah, it's the same stuff. It's just it's, it's a like <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like they replaced it. Fire. You know, I mean, it's it's like uh, you know maybe the it's like the equivalent of um, you know of like a car with a replacement door in a different color. You oh know? yeah, it's primer, primer stone. Right, exactly. Or you know, it's it's like oh. a you know, yeah, it's like the equivalent so, of of like a you know a nineteen ninety five Ford Escort with a with a with a green you know a, a blue one with a green door. You know, like that's. So we're thinking like the black marble and gold, or like a veneer or something. I don't think so. That stone seems to be. If we look at where it's broken off, it's dark mm-hmm. all the way through. Um, yeah, you're right. It is. We can see it over here where it's all top. The gold definitely. Is a veneer. Huh. That seems to be Make, leaf, gold leaf of some it, kind, or enameling, mm, or something like that. It does imply that something cut off their supply route, and they had to make do with what was nearby. Yeah, because that stone is very different from this other stone. They had to have been but importing it, that blue stone. I mean, look at how that yeah. thing stands out from the whole hillside around it, right? The, yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of Inverness, actually. Yeah. Nancy says, if you don't put spiky things on the roof, dragons will move in, right? Kind of like those pigeon uh, spikes. Oh, yeah, that, like what's in the lake town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. That's what we figured the spikes are for, to keep dragons landing on your roof. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it is just practical. But again, you'd think not having a roof at all would be the key solution to this problem. But um yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll see. It's late now, but um, uh, we've had a good look around here and gotten the way of the land and uh, concluded, I think, safely, that the northern dwarves are a little bit odd. Um, but um, we will, next week, we will reconvene here, see if we can get, can we get indoors? I want to see if we can get indoors. If we can get indoors, yeah, great. If not, then we'll kind of move up and see if we can look around closer some of those other two, you know, get up into those other two ruins and see if we can see anything closer in. Um, that one across the stream over there looks like it's in the middle of an orc camp, so that'll be a particularly fun venture, I think. Um, As but, you say, um, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure they won't mind. So, um, uh, yeah, so we'll do that. We'll do that next week. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Uh, for jo- oh good, uh, Hologro says indoors is open, so we'll do we'll do oh, the indoor okay. exploration next week, and then we'll see if we can look around at some of those other sites, and then All maybe right. move on up towards um, 
Worms Graf and uh, other such attractions. Worms Graf is what I'm mostly looking forward to. Of course, we'll see the gates too, but uh, all right, we'll see what we can find. Okay, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye.